0: Totally football show. Today, October worries, Tottenham have forgotten them with a big win over Sumpar Red Star. Meanwhile, Blue Stars do Ajax City smash at and Liverpool turn back the clocks with the Ox. We review the games and look forward to Liverpool's Sunday Champions League final rematch with Spurs and the rest of the weekend's action. And we'll be asking after Petr Cech and, well, Mesut Ozil, who's going to be the next player to have a career on ice? Could it be the Longstaff brothers? All that and more in this Totally Football show in association with Paddy Power. Yes, hello, listener. And joining us today for what looks set to be a pretty fat roundup in every sense, Jack Lang, who's fresh back from Gaz Gamendieta's DJ set last weekend. Jack, how was it? It
1: was great, yeah, really yeah.
0: good. An eclectic set list.
1: Fairly so, yeah.
0: Maybe we'll have time to look through it. Just bust us out one highlight. What was the most surprising record you heard?
1: Uh, probably he played Stereolab. Did he? Sibel's Reverie.
0: Yeah. Oh, right. I'm not familiar with that Stereolab number, but. Others I'm a big fan of. Tom Williams is here. Have you just been interviewing Memphis Depay about his musical career? I did. I did speak to Memphis Depay about right. his
2: musical career uh, and also Jürgen Locardia uh, and Ryan Barbel. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of Dutch attacking players who are into, into the rap scene. I
0: see. Frida Fargeland's into the rap scene, aren't you, Frida? Yes, I am. Are you? Who's your favourite rap artist?
3: Um, I actually like Stormzy a Do lot. Do you? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Fair. Nice one. Okay, uh, Friedrich Weigel, of course, here from Afton Blooded. And uh, today, more or less clocking up three months in London, is that right?
3: Yeah, but well, not exactly, but Ish. about, yeah. Great. Three
0: months. I bet you've got some stories. All right, we're <laughs> going to start, though, with the Champions League, which has got to midway through the group stages. Group stage, Tom. What are the headlines? These are the headlines. Spurs beat their Blues and Red Star to move back into the qualifying places in their group 5 0 at the Tottenham Stadium. City also put 5 past a wimpy Bergamo team. Wednesday, Chelsea went to Amsterdam and put the Vans in reverse with a 1 0 win, while England's other European champions, Liverpool, won their first group away game. In two years, 4-1 in Genk with a brace from Oxlade-Chamberlain. Elsewhere, Napoli stayed top of Liverpool's group with a win in Salzburg in which Erling Haaland bagged yet another brace. He's now on 20 goals in 13 games this season. Real Madrid, faced with the prospect of having Mu back in their dressing room, went and got a win at Galatasaray. And in Bruges, their group leaders, PSG, notched up another big win 5 Nil. There was loads of other delights. Benfica bouncing back into beating Dortmund. Barcelona squeaking past Slavia Prague, while Bayern Munich's winning Greece means that the Bavarians are one of only three teams to win all three matches so far, alongside PSG and Man City. Phew! Busy midweek. What what stood out for you, Frida?
3: Um I actually think Chelsea stood out t- oh, yeah? to me. Yeah. Um I'm I'm really impressed by how they are constantly improving. Um and I thought that the win against Ajax even though they didn't dominate the game, they really controlled it very well. Um and I think it's amazing what Frank Lampard's been doing so far. Um and it kind of reminded me of the game against uh, Valencia at Sanford Bridge, except then Valencia was the one who controlled the game and you know won with uh, one goal. Uh, and now Chelsea... They show that they've matured in Mm -hmm. a way. Um, So I was really impressed and um, I think it's going to be a great season for all Chelsea fans.
0: Wow, Okay, Ajax's first defeat of this season. They've been perfect in the the Champions League. Is it fair to say the first time that Chelsea have beaten a proper big side in this run? yeah I think so and as Vili was saying you, you feel like over the course
2: of these three Champions League games they've evolved really quickly I mean losing at home to, to Valencia in the first game which was obviously a big setback and then uh, winning uh, away to Lille despite not really playing all that well but weathering Lille's strong moments and, and, and winning at the end and then yeah a really impressive really mature performance uh, away at Ajax who lost for the first time this season and I think one of the encouraging things from a Chelsea perspective is that they were letting in too many goals at the start of the season and they've now stopped, that's, that's three clean sheets I think in, in the last five games, now in all competitions and, okay, Ajax had a goal ruled out for offside that was one of those absurd, you know, VAR offsides where it was, you know, the fella's Varsical. armpit Varsical, you might say um, and hit the post in the second half, but once um, Christian Pulisic and, and Mishibachuai came on Chelsea looked like the most likely winners, Bachoui blazes one over the crossbar and then and then scores a really nicely worked goal at the end and they were they were really good value for the win and I, and I think yeah it's it's sort of the next stage in their evolution that they've they've shown that they can be uh, an effective Premier League team that they can win games um, and now they're doing it against big teams in Europe so very encouraging.
1: What I enjoyed here a lot has been made about the young players and for good reason but I thought the midfield was was excellent Jorginho uh, covered really well, broke up a couple of counter-tracks. But Matteo Kovicic especially, I think, has been transformed under Lampard. Under Sarri, I think he, he just basically played four-yard passes to the sides and very safety first. But he's now playing like he did when he kind of broke through in Italy, I suppose, with his head up, always looking to, to play a forward pass. Thought he was really good, one of the best players on the pitch. Nice.
0: Chelsea, Saturday, tea time. Visit Turf Moor to take on a Burnley side who've won their last two Premier League matches at home. Have they not conceded in either of those two games? I think that's right. Do you see Chelsea's winning streak, which is now at six straight games, do you see that continuing away to the Clarets?
3: Well, yeah, possibly since, I mean, the defence is just getting better and better. Um, I think it has a lot to do with Tomori, who's been brilliant so far. He actually started the game against Ajax a bit shaky, but then he was just brilliant.
0: That moment where he, where he sends Ziech out, does a little turn, mm. just keeps on going Ala la Forrest Gump <laughs> exiting the stadium. Uh, magnificent. Well, uh, Chelsea, very impressive then. Another team from London, Spurs, put down a bit of a marker, coming into their clash with Red Star in total crisis, but coming out of it with a whopping 5-0 win that puts them back into the qualifying positions in their group, a point ahead of their visitors from Serbia. Five points behind by Mina, but still this... This was fantastic and more than the scoreline perhaps it was the fact that they, it looked like they actually cared. Yeah and
2: played some lovely football and scored some really nice goals. I thought Harry Kane was brilliant and we've spoken about this on, on the pod before but his the quality of his passing is absolutely sensational and I think Spurs have got a similar problem to England with Kane and not only is he their best goal scorer he's also their best chance creator. I mean he was involved in seemingly every goal that they scored um, and you know clearly Red Star Belgrade and not great shakes away from home it always helps when your opposition kindly gift you the ball midway inside their own half as Mark Marine did um Tangi and Ndombele on one of the goals but Spurs needed that um you know that, that ridiculous 2-7 defeat at home to Bayern that dreadful 3-0 loss at Brighton scraping that draw at home to Watford it really did feel like they were lurching into crisis and you know maybe they still are but nice to have you know a breezy evening in the Champions League and score a few goals.
0: Humanly for a second how different was Spurs performance in this game to their first half performance against Bayern which they ended up losing 7-2. Well the funny thing about that Bayern game was that Spurs weren't actually
2: that bad yeah. and if and as you know as as we've all um commented on I'm sure the the XG at the end of the game showed what a freak result it was. Everything that Bayern hit ended up in the back of the net, and certainly the last few goals they scored—I mean, they were all, I mean, if not worldies and basically unsavable shots—but um, yeah, Spurs were guilty of sort of standing off players and, and allowing them to take shots. It, it's unfortunate when you get a defeat like that because uh, obviously a, a loss in the Champions League, particularly a home defeat, is damaging. But it, it wasn't a seven-two game—a slightly absurd scoreline to mention in, in those sort of terms. But it, you know, clearly, a, a defeat like that is is very damaging. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think to play to play that well against Red Star and 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 score that many goals and 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 play such attractive football is you know is, is a sign that all is perhaps not lost
0: quite yet. Well, they'll take their exciting one-game winning streak to Anfield on Sunday for what looks like a pretty tasty Champions League final rematch with Liverpool. Man City, Jack, how sexy were they?
1: I thought they were very good. Yeah, Raheem Sterling scored his fourth hat-trick uh, so far this calendar year, which is very impressive. Mm. Atalanta, I think, played into their hands a little bit. Started very well, a lot of energy, as we expect, and really aggressive running, especially from like, the from the wing-backs. Thought they were they were worth their lead, really. But then they just slightly ran out of gas, and they play a kind of football that Manchester City really just loved. There were spaces, you know, when Castagna and Gersons both pushed up into attack, leaving, you know, just wide open spaces. Sterling especially loved it. And uh, Phil Foden, I thought, probably in the headlines for unfortunate reasons, given his red card. But he was very, very good. Before he was that. good. Uh, especially I, I loved his little assist for, for Sterling's goal. It would have been so easy for him to try and slam that away himself. Just two yard pass to his left. I thought it was very, very intelligent.
0: All right. One blow for Pep, the fact that Rodri got taken off with what looks like a hamstring injury. Out of the Villa game at the weekend, which means real problems at the back for Pep as now all that he has available are centre-halves, so he might actually have to pick one.
1: Yeah, and if John Stones takes as long to get his shirt and boots on as he did uh, in midweek, I think Guardiola may be doling out a few more black eyes, which isn't to say that Guardiola gave John Stones a black eye, just to clarify. Just a rumour. Just just a rumour. It's not not even a rumour.
0: Okay. Raheem Sterling, Frida, the suggestion is that perhaps we don't value him as much as we might because he's from these shores in this country, that we don't give him the, the claim that we would if he'd come from somewhere else like Sweden. What, what do they feel about him in Sweden, for example?
3: Yeah, but I think it's it's quite similar to how it is over here. I mean, uh, yeah, he, he, previous seasons m- maybe he didn't get praised enough, but I feel that he's you know been praised a lot recently.
0: Oh, he, he has. It's true. But w- whether we're thinking of him in th- in that category now of the. You know the best in the
2: world, the Ballon d'Or potential winners? Well, I think this season in the Champions League will be quite an important one for Sterling because clearly he's one of the best players in England, if not the best player. His form over the last 18 months, two years, even longer, has been absolutely sensational. 11-minute hat-trick against Atalanta, 16 goals and 17 appearances for club and country this season. You kind of feel like for the rest of the world to come round to the way that Sterling is perceived in this country, he needs to do it in the Champions League. And that will mean, obviously, City going deep into the competition. But, yeah, he couldn't be in much better form at the moment.
0: Excellent. All right, around the rest of the Champions League midweek action, all sorts of other delights. What was your favourite goal, Tom, Prida?
2: I'm going to go Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain's second goal (gasps) against Genk dainty little outside of the right foot mm-hmm. from the from outside the box in off the crossbar. And he wasn't even facing the goal. He wasn't even facing the goal. It reminded me, and I tweeted this, of a, a goal that Pavel Nedved scored for Juventus at Ajax in Ooh. the Champions League a few seasons ago. But I think the Ox might have usurped even that as my favourite outside of the foot Champions League goal.
0: Did you catch Marcel Sabitzer's yes. RB oh. Reb- oh. Leipzig against... Uh, Zenit St-Petersburg in a Mm. a big match in that group. That was amazing, wasn't
3: it? Yeah, that was my favourite one actually. Uh, Reminded me a bit of uh, Pavard's goal Mm. uh, in the World Cup last summer. So it was really nice.
0: That's true because it was from a similar sort of position but had way more curve, way more swaz on it. Jack?
1: Well, just to be different, I suppose we could say Dybala's first, right, which was just a traction engine <laughs> of, a, of, a, of a hit from outside the area.
0: Dybala's goal was a huge one for a, a player, particularly that the club uh, Juventus had spent so long trying to get rid of mm-hmm. in the summer and, and turned around what looked like being a very difficult game with locomotive for Juventus. Mbappé, what a performance from him for PSG?
1: Yeah, didn't even start but scored scored three really slick goals. I think what's impressive for PSG is that what we would think of as their first choice front three, which is Neymar, Cavani and Mbappe, really none of them have had much form and fitness to go by, yet they're still cruising very impressive and Angel Di Maria is just in such glorious form, the passes he put I think he got three assists here Uh, the second two especially, the first was like a little clever angled ball from Mbappe and the final goal with the outside of his left boot just curled away from the defender into Mbappe's path just gorgeous and I think at the moment they are my, well, it seems ridiculous to call them a, a dark horse given how much money they've spent. But I think outside City, maybe Liverpool, I think they're probably my favourites at the moment. So you would have City, Liverpool and PSG. Well, yeah, I mean, that's not really going out much of a limb, is it? Right. But yeah.
0: OK, would you like to nominate an actual dark horse? Or do you think it's hard to see past teams of that stature?
3: Well, pre-season, I um, actually said uh, I thought Chelsea would be a dark horse, uh, and I stand by that. Actually. Nice
0: one, Frida. Tom, you're nodding in agreement.
2: Yeah, right. um, I mean, maybe Chelsea could do an Ajax. You know, I think if they're gonna if they're gonna ha- make a Go splash in, in the, the Champions League in. with a youthful team that no one expects anything from, right. um, just to come back on Kylian Mbappe briefly, he has now scored five career hat tricks and one quadruple um, for PSG at the same age. Uh, Lionel Messi had scored only one hat-trick. Cristiano Ronaldo had scored zero hat-tricks. So, making decent decent ground. It's incredible, decent isn't ground? it? Decent is ground, is that Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: yeah.
2: just yeah. crazy numbers. Just it out. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Perfect hat-trick as well. Had a right foot, left foot, and got
0: an assist as well, all in the space of 22 minutes. That is remarkable. Mm. A young man going places. Oh, yes. Making up ground. Now, uh, as we say, Sunday afternoon, whoa, it is Liverpool Spurs... Liverpool who crushed Tottenham's Champions League dreams last season in May. Are they going to do it again this weekend? We'll talk about that next.
2: You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power.
0: Liverpool taking on Tottenham Sunday at 4.30. Liverpool with a 4-1 win in Genk. Left a lot of spaces to their Belgian opponents, though. Moved into second place, a point behind... Napoli. It was interesting well, to see Klopp groping through the kind of the outer, the outer remnants of his, his squad. Uh, on the weekend, he he brought in Lalana to devastating effect, and this time around it was the Ox. Yes. So um,
2: Oxford Chamberlain and Naby Keita both came into midfield, um, and just sort of seeing the names on the team sheet, you you felt like Liverpool would have a bit more about them going forward, perhaps, and they sometimes do from what is ordinarily quite a functional, but. Clearly very effective midfield. But one of the perhaps unforeseen consequences of that was that they did leave a lot of space behind. They kept getting caught on the counter-attack, uh, particularly in the first half. Um, and having gone ahead in the second minute uh, through Oxford-Chamberlain's first goal, were then quite fortunate that um, what looked like an equaliser from Mbwana Samata, thumping header, uh, got ruled out for another sort of slightly nonsensical VAR offside. Um, and then second half, they kind of, you know, move through the gears. The Ox gets his second. Uh, Mane and Salah chip in uh, and then get, get a goal right at the end, which was reward for their endeavours. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, good for Liverpool to kind of get back to, to winning ways after their their long winning run came to an end at, at Old Trafford. But yeah, not an entirely convincing performance. OK,
0: despite the score. And Frida, you were there on Sunday at Old Trafford. Yeah, I was. The way that Man United dealt so effectively with Liverpool, certainly in the first half, is that something that Spurs can look to emulate this weekend?
3: They might do. Uh, I, I was actually quite surprised. I mean, if you saw the lineups, you were like, how on earth are United going to get a point? Um, but they actually managed it really well. And I thought the key was probably that Alexander-Arnold and Robertson didn't get to, uh, you know, make their crosses, mm. um, which is quite a reverse from the Arsenal game uh, against Liverpool when Emery decided to let Alexander Arnold and Robertson uh, do the crosses. Um, so apparently he shouldn't. <laughs> right. <laughs> and Pochettino might have noticed that as well. Okay. But uh, yeah, definitely try to cut off the wings and also try to uh, win the balls in the centre because I, I, I felt like they did.
0: Excellent. I mean, I suppose in the centre of midfield do have physicality. I'm not... The fullbacks though, that's the real problem position for them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean on the right it's Aurier or, or Foyt, neither of whom I think is particularly comfortable in the, in a defensive sense, especially if they're being being run at. I think I remember Foyt playing against Man City when when Sterling kind of ran at him repeatedly and gave him a bit of a, a hard time. So Mane may look to replicate that if he plays or Aurier, we know offers a lot going forward but is a bit suspect. Mm. On the left, uh, I think Ben Davies played midweek, mm. but I assume Danny Rose would play. But yeah, I mean Liverpool. I think this was this was a reaction to, uh, as Freda said, uh, what was a massively disappointing performance at the weekend. They, I think, played the historic image of Man United, like you know the monolith, rather than the actual team, which is fairly terrible. I think lineup uh, on the United side. That was, I think, something they'll they'll want to bounce back from. And, yeah, it felt like they were just getting a, a bit of dust out of their system in midweek, and I'd ex- expect them to be pretty good at the weekend.
0: Well, history certainly on their side uh, when they take on Spurs, not only the recent Champions League final, which they won 2-0, but uh, Spurs haven't actually won at Anfield since May 2011, when they had the likes of Luca Modric and Raphael van der Vaart scoring goals for them.
3: And I don't even think that Spurs won an away game since the 20th of January against is that right? Fulham. Yeah, wow. in the league, mm. that is.
0: OK. Quick shout-out to Genk, who, by the way, have now played the most European Cup or Champions League matches of any club in history without actually winning one. Previously, they they were tied with Shamrock Rovers and another team whose name I can't remember, but now they're out clear. 15 times they've been in the competition. No wins.
1: Just before we leave this game, it was, it was a bad night for three people on the Liverpool uh, side of things, despite it being a good win. One, I thought, was Joe Gomez, who... You know, despite the fact that Alexander-Arnold and Matip were both given the night off, Gomez still couldn't get in the side. I think that's probably quite concerning for him. And the other two were two fans who accidentally went to Ghent. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: How did we know that? Did they post uh, this? Uh, it,
1: was, it's, it was a, a story on a, what must have been a Belgian uh, website right. today of two yeah, Liverpool fans holding up printed-out tickets right. in, in the wrong city. Is it far, Tom?
2: I, I don't know. Um, I noticed that Martin Keown um, on the commentary last night made a similar mistake in it. He, he was sort of slipping between Ghent and Gank <laughs> as if they were alternative <laughs> names for the same club. I mean, It's like I Bruges think and Brugge. Well, that is the well, thing. Well, I mean, yeah, kind of. Yeah. As if Bruges and yeah. Brugge were two different places. Yeah. Shall,
0: shall I look it up? Shall I see how far apart You they check are? on that. Let me just ask the question about Christian Eriksen, which is posed by the fact that he was uh, out of the lineup. Uh, I think, for the second straight game. Uh, midweek and Spurs played really well is this Poch taking a hard line on a player who's maybe not in line with uh, everybody's vision for the future
3: I actually do think so uh, because I think it's it's uh, damaged a lot uh, and Poch seemed very annoyed about it and uh, he hasn't really um, pretended like he's not Um, and I definitely feel that Eriksen is probably going to leave in January Uh, that's what makes sense if they want to get any money for him
0: yeah
2: a potential solution there perhaps uh, Tom I've just I've looked at the distance between Ghent and Genk and it's 150 kilometres uh, or a two okay. hour drive but apparently I think Ghent have offered tickets to these unfortunate Liverpool fans to their Europa League game against Wolfsburg tonight I think that's nice so all may not be lost fantastic unless they've already got flights going back today which is probable so <laughs> in which case all is very much lost
0: all right uh, excellent. OK, well, so uh, Sunday afternoon it is Liverpool-Spurs and we'll be reviewing that, of course, on Monday. Doesn't seem like there's much feeling here that Spurs are going to get the chance to build on their midweek success, though. Well, I mean, it, it helps to go into a game like that
2: with a little bit of momentum, albeit just from one game. And, you know, as we've said, the way that United managed to shut down Liverpool's full does at least provide a a blueprint of sorts. Um, You know, Spurs often play with three at the back, so it's a system that they know well.
0: Mm. I mean, yeah,
2: I'm in agreement with these guys that it probably will be a Liverpool win.
0: Mind you, very few people gave them much hope when they took on Man City earlier in the season and look what happened there. They were absolutely dreadful and somehow came away with a 2-2 draw. So there's that. Um, But So there's that, you know, it's something. Could happen. Brilliant. All right, well, uh, I'm sure there's loads of other things we could talk about from the Champions League, but there's loads of other top matches to discuss in the Premier League and beyond. So uh, we'll crack on with those next. Join me, Join me on my journey through time. Where shall we go,
1: sir? Ancient <laughs> Egypt. Caesar's Rome. No, my kitchen about an hour ago. Told the wife her new hairstyle was a brave choice, didn't I? Oh, Everyone makes mistakes, but with Paddy Power's money-back specials, they don't cost you as much. This Sunday, it's Money Back as a free bet on all markets if Liverpool beats Spurs. Paddy Power, home of the Money Back special.
0: Applies to all markets on this match. Max refund £10 as a free bet. Shop bets excluded. T's and C's apply. 18 plus be On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms
2: everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media.
0: Game week 10 of the season in the Premier League and Liverpool take on Spurs. Man City take on Aston Villa. And as you look down uh, the fixture list, you've got some other delights like Arsenal-Crystal Palace, which you're going to, aren't you, Frida? Yes, I am. I'm intrigued by this, not least because Crystal Palace could go above Arsenal in the table if they beat Arsenal just like they did there last season.
3: Yeah, that's uh, that's quite amazing, actually. I I thought that Roy Hodgson was going to be one of the first managers to get sacked, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was totally wrong, which I'm pleased by because, I mean, he's a very nice
0: man. Right, so. and as well, a, a footballing hero in, in, in Sweden. Of, of course, they've got an extraordinary record, not just that win away at Arsenal last time, but one away at Man City, one away at uh, Liverpool, one away at Man United earlier this season. Two... Well, they're taking on an Arsenal side as well that since we last did a totally went and lost at Sheffield United.
1: Yeah, and in in a manner that I'm sure Palace will look to to repeat as far as, as Sheffield United played, which was How did they do it, James? Well, they stuck to their usual system and I think they just defended doggedly and also just the angles of their play just dragged Arsenal into into funny shapes, I think. The way, you know, Sheffield United attacked really intricately down the flanks. And Arsenal's defending was was bizarre and in the end their attacking was bizarre as well and that they kind of ended in this disorganized manner emery chucked a load of attackers onto the pitch but didn't really have anyone to to arrange them and i think it was very uh, it was notable that the one player who might have been able to pick a way through a defense like that in a central position would have been perhaps mesut ozil who mesut ozil. Was, was absent from the squad and for the fourth game in a row yeah whatever you think of him i think I think you would have to agree that in in a situation like that, uh, I, I think Arsenal ended the game with Bukayo Saka in a kind of withdrawn central role, perhaps like you know as the main playmaker. And yeah, whatever you think of Ozil, I think he is probably one of your best options in that kind of situation. And when you've got so much attacking firepower and haven't got a way to to get them the ball in good positions i think you really have to question the way he's been ostracized
0: is it a question of him being ostracized earlier in the season he was out of the picture because of the fallout from that attempted carjacking that he and uh, Kolasinac suffered. Kolasinac has come back into the picture, but there, there was talk afterwards of a kind of undisclosed backstory about repercussions from some of the uh, dastardly folk involved. Is it is is it that that's rumbling on, or is it just Emery doesn't want him anywhere near the team, not just in the starting lineup, but not even in the squad? I think it's Emery doesn't want him in the team, and
2: Emery's excuses for leaving out Ozil have become thinner and thinner as time has gone on. And you know, Emery is a coach who who likes his players to play with a lot of intensity and, and to press very aggressively, and and obviously we know that Mesut Ozil is not that type of player, but you know, to, to not be able to find a place for a player of that talent in a team that is struggling, um, I think is, is really damning of Emery's management. And, and Arsenal Twitter, which can be quite an enjoyable place to dip into every now and again, was not a happy place on Monday. And the feeling was that there has been no evolution in Arsenal's football since Emery arrived. There's no real sense of identity. I mean, briefly last season there were moments when you thought, "Oh, actually, okay, this is what Emery's Arsenal will look like." But they beat Spurs in the derby in what was it like October, November? Really aggressive front foot football. You thought, "Okay, well, this is a change." And now that's disappeared. Arsenal don't seem to have any sort of playing identity. They still make the same mistakes defensively. Özil's being left out. Um, The new signings have not all worked out. I mean, Nicola well, Pepe, who I really hoped right. would, would would settle quickly, so far looks like a flop um, and, you know, missed that fantastic chance against Sheffield United from six yards with a shot that ended up going out
0: for a throw-in, I think. Right. So he's become Ever, sort of after that was symbolic. Saying, yeah, Patrice Everett was suggesting that he needs to bulk up, but I mean, you saw him play a bunch last year for Lille and he didn't seem to have any problems with
2: his form. Yeah, I don't think it's anything to do with his physique. I think part of it is to do with the fact that, I mean, Lille were a counter-attacking team last season and no one saw them coming because they'd narrowly avoided relegation the previous season and so teams attacked them expecting that they'd be able to score goals that way and Lille had this fantastic spring-mounted counter-attack and an awful lot of Pepe's goals came from him just picking the ball up on halfway and running into acres of green grass whereas obviously when teams play Arsenal that that sort of space is something that they're denied uh, and we saw that against Sheffield United who as Jack said defended very intelligently um, and you know starved Arsenal's attacking players of that sort of space and I, I think I think Pepe has got enough um, intelligence I think he's got enough different um facets to his to his game as an attacking player but at the moment the ball's just not going in for him and when you're sort of dragging a 72 million pound price tag around the pitch with you then you know that that does make it difficult um, having fair. having said that you look at arsenal um at home uh, their their form is much better uh, four wins and a draw from five so yeah i i you know i think palace will will fancy their chances but
0: arsenal are a very different proposition when they're at the emirates Crusty loses uh, Frida Emery out Lumberg again. What do you think? <laughs> Freddie Lundberg. He's, he, he was almost out, of course, shown a, shown a, um, shown a yellow card on, on Monday night.
3: Yeah, uh, pretty interesting seeing Mike Dean mm. flashing the yellow card um, in front of always, him. Always, always. Yeah. <laughs> always in the centre. Um, yeah, if someone had told me two months ago that Jungberg, uh was, you know, even like in the talks of taking over Do you think he Arsenal? is?
0: Is it just Krusty Loaf or are there other Loafs out there who are suggesting that maybe the time is ripe for change?
3: I actually do think that the club rates him very highly as a coach um, because I know when I asked Emery about him, uh, just... I, I think it was after... Yeah, it was either the first or the second game of the season. Um, he was pretty clear that it wasn't Emery's decision to bring him up to the first team. Uh, it was a club. So... That shows that they have, yeah, that they trust in him and they have a lot of belief in him. Uh, And I also do think, I mean, from what the young players are saying, um, how how good he is at at what he does. And also, if we think about what Chelsea has been doing with Frank Lampard, I wouldn't be surprised if Arsenal attempted to do quite the same thing with Jungberg.
1: Nice. I I did a a piece before the start of the season on Edu's uh, return to Arsenal. And one thing that was very clear when I was speaking to people for that is how closely he's maintained his relationship with other players that he used to play with at Arsenal. And a big part of the club's decision to bring him in, I think, there was the bonus of the fact that he'd played under Emery at Valencia, which I think some people focused on. But it was more to do with the fact that he has... Well, the phrase that kept coming up was Arsenal DNA, and that he mm. uh, he was present at a time when there was something in the veins of the club that got them to you know titles and victories in difficult situations. It might just be the new Ole Solskjaer.
3: <laughs> no, please not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, but the, the, so so that's interesting. There there does seem to be a a thought that somewhere along the line that might represent the future and and how how imminent that future might be. Well, could well be determined in some part by what happens on Sunday when Crystal Palace comes down. Arsenal before that, of course, have got uh, the Europa League action against Victoria Guimaraes. Uh, Sheffield, who beat them on Monday, Sheffield United, who beat them on Monday, are going to be next up Saturday afternoon at West Ham. It is... The first time the two teams have met in the Premier League since the 2006-2007 season. Uh, Carlos Tevez and all that. Tevez Gate. Tevez Gate. Tevez Gate, -gate, Tom. Are you familiar with the Carlos Tevez saga and uh, and Neil Warnock, Frida?
3: A bit, yeah. Yeah,
0: Okay. good. Yeah, I mean, it all ended in a financial sediment, I think that's right, isn't it? Yes. Sheffield United went down, West Ham fielded. uh, Carlos Tevez, who scored the goal at Old Trafford on the last day of
2: the season that kept them up. Right. Uh, Sheffield United's expense Neil Warner was not best pleased etc etc
0: Right why was it that they weren't supposed to use them because they were uh, third party ownership Yes Right God it seems so long ago now Jack 12 years There you go There you go. Anyway, so uh, West Ham taking on Sheffield United. They haven't had a win in four games in all competitions.
2: Yeah, West Ham, uh, back-to-back league defeats, lost at home to Palace and then uh, lost to Everton last weekend, having gone six games unbeaten prior to that. Interestingly, Sheffield United, one of only two Premier League teams who are still to lose away from home this season, along with Liverpool. So a tough nut to crack. Best
0: events in the Premier League, along with Liverpool, or at least after Liverpool. Here's a stat about Sheffield United. Took the lead here and then managed to defend. They haven't lost a league game when leading at halftime since 2014. Yeah, I saw that. Incredible. Wow. Right. Very impressive, of course, Sheffield United against the big six. They have moved into the top half with Monday's victory. There's still only four from the drop, but, of course, uh, early stages of this Premier League season. Very good. Uh, Sweden news. (laughs) Frida. Right. Wow. Yep. You, of all people, should be ready for this. Uh, internationally, you sit second in your group behind Spain, but only a point ahead of Romania. Concerned?
3: Uh, a bit. I was really devastated after this Spain game yeah. in Stockholm. They were so close, getting three important points. But, well, what to do?
0: What, what to do indeed. Do you have a playoff in your back pocket?
3: Um, a
0: Nations League resulting playoff? No? I'm not
3: sure. According okay, okay. to the
0: Wikipedia say? standings, yes. They do. Uh,
3: right, right, Phew. Yeah. Hey? I'm not uh, sure how that, how that works. It's
2: confusing. I feel like yeah. most teams yeah. have got a guarantee
0: of a player. Even Wales. Oh, right. I mean, Wales, as
3: things nice.
2: stand, would go into the playoffs. That's so. happy, okay.
0: happy news. Oh, yeah. um, have you got any word on Zlatan's potential move to Napoli?
3: Oh, so he's going to Napoli now. Well, <laughs> It's a new club every week. So is I'm it? Like, right. Yeah. There's a lot of talking and I think that he might be the one as well who, who wants the speculations to be ongoing I see um, what you're saying. Being in the spotlight. Does
0: he plan to finish his career back at Malmö so that he can go into work every day underneath that wonderful statue of him that they've just erected? <laughs> I,
3: I would be very surprised okay. if he did. Um, and he's actually, I mean, of, of course he's considered a legend in the club, but at the same time, I mean, Markus Rosenberg, for example, he's a lot bigger mm. than Zlatan is in Malmö. Uh, so, yeah.
0: Does he have a statue?
3: No, he doesn't. Right. Not yet, at least.
0: Okay. Um, are... Are some fans in Sweden a bit fed up of Zlatan and his uh, mouth?
3: Yeah, b- partly. But at the same time, he, he's he been brilliant in right. um, in MLS so far. So um, he's, he seems to always be, be able to back up all his talking. Um, so, I mean, as long as he does that, I, I, I think it's fine.
0: He's not the right to chat. His yeah. Chat. yeah. Uh, fair. Uh, and this evening, indeed, he will be uh, in action in the MLS playoffs, in the uh, El mm. Trafico. Exciting. Um, in the Allsvenskan, mm-hmm. it's two games to go. Is that right? Yeah. And it's, it's really exciting for you to in the top, mm. but three three points behind them. You got three teams: Hammerby, Malmo, aforementioned Malmo, and IK. Well, how do I pronounce that?
3: Yeah, IK. Yeah, that's okay.
0: good. Uh, yeah, they're all three points behind. Uh, IK, who beat uh, bottom of the table Falkenberg five one this Sunday. What, what do you think is going to happen?
3: I think it's first of all I think it's insane. Um and I love it. Um <laughs> I mean it's it's totally crazy that so many teams are actually they, they can win the title. Um I do maybe lean towards you, Gordon, uh winning the title. Which now. is how you pronounce it. Yeah. Right. Uh, but but at the same time I have a southern accent so I, I pronounce You're it wrong. <laughs> okay, no. Yeah.
0: Uh, but but uh, why them?
3: Um well since they got the 3 points against IFK Göteborg or Gothenburg as you say. Um I I feel that they they will probably, you know, win in okay. the end. Okay.
0: All right. So uh, sorry, your garden are currently has uh, 3 points clear as we mentioned. Uh there's a big derby with my garden. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: Jack, I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> so um Yeah. Uh, You recently, on the subject of your garden, you recently (laughs) interviewed the Longstaff brothers of Newcastle. Yeah. Tell us about that.
3: It's quite weird because back home in, in Sweden, I'm uh, totally useless when it comes to hockey. Okay. I don't know uh, a single thing about hockey, but over here, it turns out I'm quite the expert. Well, <laughs> so, yes. So I went to Peter Cech's, uh, uh game, oh, uh, hockey you? game. Yeah. At the uh, Guildford Phoenix. Yes, exactly.
0: When he, when he when he when he he stood firm in the in the penalty shootout at the end.
3: Yeah, he was brilliant. Yeah. Really good. Um, and then, obviously the Longstaff brothers' dad uh, were an amazing, or still is an amazing hockey player. Yeah,
0: no. so you say obviously, but I did not know this at all. He played at Djurgården, had a, a good season for them actually. Yeah. Uh, quite rare for a British player to go abroad, particularly somewhere like Sweden, and, and, and get a, a contract.
3: He was the first one uh, back in 2001. Uh, the first Englishman man to, to play in the highest division in Sweden. Uh, and, um, and I mean he's, he's a good... Hockey plays. I come to understand since I don't know that much (laughs) about hockey. But yes, I spoke to both Sean and Maddie about this uh, subject and. they were thrilled to talk about it. They seemed to really enjoy it. Right. And, do they uh, play
0: at all? Have they played?
3: Yeah, they have. Um, and it's a big part of their lives. Um, uh, since uh, David, their dad, um, he is uh, a playing manager for uh, the local Warriors. team in Newcastle. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they often go to the games. And uh, Sean even said uh, that he was open to maybe do a Peter Check um, after his football career.
0: Brilliant. Yeah. got to say, Longstaff is a great name for a hockey player no because of the, the, the stick.
3: Oh, yeah. Mm. didn't think about that. Part, yeah?
0: Well, before any potential futures on the ice, Sean and his Man United beating brother Matt are taking on Wolves for a Newcastle side that's still in the bottom three. In amongst your hockey chat, uh, Frida, what did they tell you about the situation? Has the team come together behind, uh, behind Steve Bruce?
3: It actually seems like that, and I'm I'm really uh, really surprised by that as well. Um, and also, it's quite interesting that Newcastle's best performances have has been against you know the the, the big six, so mm-hmm. to say, um, uh, Tottenham and uh, Man United, and uh, they were actually pretty good against Chelsea as well. Um, they lost the game in the second half, uh, but they, I mean, the first 25 minutes or so, uh, they were p- pretty decent. Um, so it seems like the players like Steve Bruce, although I don't think, um, well, he, he, he might not be the best manager in the league. Uh, but I think that as long as he gets along with the players, uh, he might be fine, um, but it, it will be a struggle to stay up.
1: All right. What's the situation at the bottom, Jack, at the moment? Uh, Watford are still chained to the foot of the table, still haven't won. And then Norwich above them, then Newcastle and Southampton level on eight points, Brighton, Everton.
0: Right. Thanks for that. Norwich, who, of course, managed to get, I think, their first clean sheet of the season last weekend against Bournemouth, much to many people's. Surprise! They're taking on Man United this weekend. Can the relegation strugglers build on last week's unexpected point, or will Norwich beat them, Tom, <laughs> etc. Hey. and so on? Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. Well, so Norwich, since
2: that fantastic three-two win over Man City at Carrow Road, have gone four games without a win, um, and that included that surprisingly one-sided five-one home defeat by Villa um so i think that that clean sheet at, at bournemouth was was much needed and particularly against a you know bournemouth team who do have a lot of attacking threats and who do generally score a lot of goals so that will that will give them some um some hope but yeah i mean norwich have gone off the boil quite spectacularly since that really impressive opening to the season you know tamer Pookie's goals have dried up we've not seen as much from todd campwell um you know, Clearly, United, obviously we don't know what's going to happen against uh, Partizan Belgrade tonight in uh, the Europa League, but they will have, have drawn a lot of belief from the performance against Liverpool, um, if, if not the outcome, perhaps. How, how so, back yeah. are United? I, I think the problem with that, with that performance against Liverpool was that it's not a performance that can be replicated against any other team. It was a very successful um, tactical takedown of a very strong opponent. Um, but it, it kind of reminded me in a way of the performances that Newcastle have produced against United, against Tottenham this season, where, um, you know, you can, you can really motivate a set of players who are out of form if you give them a really clear tactical plan and if you frame what they're attempting to do as some really big achievement. Um, And and so there was something of the, you know, sort of smaller club about the way United went against that game, which is not to criticise them because clearly Liverpool are streaked ahead of them at the moment. And that was absolutely the right way to go about that game. And had it not been, you know, for a momentary lapse of attention at the end of the game, they would have come away with a really impressive victory. But, you know, United should be going to teams like Norwich and bulldozing them. That's what clubs of United status generally do. um, And nothing in their football this season suggest that they're capable of doing that. But then, as, you know, as I've just said, Norwich aren't exactly in great shape themselves,
0: so it'll be an interesting one. Certainly will. 4.30 Sunday afternoon. If Norwich beat Man United by 12 goals to nil, they'll go above the Red Devils in the standings. Jack?
1: Yeah, just to go back to what Tom said, I think when I was watching the, the game against Liverpool, the memory that sprung to mind was the, the PSG game last season when it felt like United were really backs to the walls, kind of uh, in terms of man-for-man man quality, outclassed really and yet exactly as Tom said that adversity generated something within them that I think drew a few extra percent from the players you know uh, I thought Fred was it was probably one of his best games in England so far which isn't saying a great deal admittedly but uh, even you know Marcus Rojo and Ashley Young I thought until until the goal were doing fairly well again it's hard to see them pulling out that kind of performance in games where where they're expected to Take the take the impetus themselves, mm. but I, I think this could be a problematic game for them, even though Norwich are out of really? form. Yeah,
0: and Anthony Martial should be back though.
1: I think, well, yeah, fitness wise, I think he's he's approaching full fitness, and I think he he will be essential to their hopes, really, because I don't think you can play Daniel James in a in an attacking role as he did against Liverpool in in many matches. I think he will he will return to the wing, and Martial's presence I think is offers Rashford. A little bit of a decoy, if anything, they, I think they dovetail quite nicely.
0: Weirdly fascinating fixture, that one. 4.30 Sunday afternoon, Man United at Carrow Road. Lots of delights still to come on this Totally Football Show, including why Maradona doesn't like the colour green. Jack Lang will be on hand to explain that. Uh, but right now, a quick pause. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Leicester are at Saints on Friday night. An early kick-off to the Premier League weekend, while Leicester's rivals for third place, Chelsea, travel to Burnley. Chelsea on that six-game winning streak. What about Leicester away at a Saints team who keeps surprising everybody by just how badly they're doing? Only two wins in their past fourteen. Have you seen Saints' tour recently, Frida?
3: Um, I think the recent game I saw was the one against Chelsea. Oh yeah. Um... How did that go? Yeah, how did it
0: go? They lost 4 They one. lost, yeah. Right, they <laughs> you go.
3: Four one. There's, So there's many games.
0: Uh, Danny Ings has five goals in his last four matches. That's unexpected. I mean, they were they were better, I think,
2: um, last weekend at Wolves. Got a 1-1 draw. Ralph Hassenhutl, um seemed quite pleased with what he'd seen, described it as a step forward. And I mm. think, as you were saying, James, I mean, everyone's been... Slightly disappointed by Southampton this season in that Hassan Hüttel's arrival last season, he had such an immediate impact. They, he seemed to transform the team so quickly. We expected them to kick on this season and, and so far they haven't. Um, Leicester, interestingly, have only won once away from home in the league this season and that was back at the end of August at Sheffield United. Hmm. Um, and you think if they are going to challenge for a top four spot, as they look entirely equipped to do this is the sort of fixture they need to be getting three points from alright
0: do you see them challenging for a top four spot come May Jack
1: challenging certainly yeah especially if if Arsenal and Chelsea are are sidetracked by European matters I think yeah there's no there's no reason at all why they couldn't sneak into that fair alright
0: Brighton are taking on Everton Saturday afternoon at the same time bottom of the table Watford are up against Bournemouth. Given the choice, which would you go along and see, Frida?
3: I, I think I would choose probably Brighton. Yeah, Seaside. Um, yeah, yeah. Seaside's nice. And also I expect uh, Brighton to, to play like they usually do, which mm. is c- quite fun to watch. So. OK.
0: It certainly was fun for the home fans last time they were there at the Amex when they beat Spurs 3-0. Aaron Moyes suspended for the hosts after his... Uh, Red card against Aston Villa. Everton, who are a place above Brighton in 15th in the table, did pick up a much-needed win for Marco Silva last time out against West Ham. But could be an entertaining entertaining game, that one. Definite signs of life for the Toffees. watford uh, Bournemouth, which you so cruelly spurned uh, in, in your choices there. Uh, well, that's, there's plenty of storyline there. Poor Danny Welbeck going off injured for the Hornets as they prepare to take on Bournemouth. And... It's a problem because goals are a problem for Watford.
2: Yes, they are. Um, but I, I kind of feel like we're starting to see um, the impact of Kike of sanchez Flores, who in his previous season at Vicarage Road turned Watford into quite a quite a hardy team. Uh, if you look at the results since he, he came back, they had that 2-2 draw against Arsenal when they came back from 2-0 down. Mm-hmm. Um, then they got spanked at, at Man City. 8-0. Uh, 8-0, mm-hmm. lost at Wolves. But then 0-0 at home to Sheffield United. 1-1 at Tottenham last weekend and you know had it not been for a slightly scratchy goal by Deli Alley with four minutes remaining they would have got a really impressive win um, I mean winning at Tottenham is not the most difficult thing to do these days but all the same I think it's a sign that they're moving in the right direction um, and yeah this is the sort of game that they, they will look at as as a, a potential uh, potential source of three points because if they're going to turn the corner they need to start winning games
0: all right, then. sooner rather than later Excellent Jack Bournemouth Bournemouth, Bournemouth. Alright then
1: <laughs> I, I it's been a weird season for Ryan Fraser. Ah, There's a good piece on The Athletic this week by one of my colleagues saying that, you know, Fraser has basically been used on the wrong flank a lot. He prefers to play on the left. He's been asked to play on the right. And he's pa- apparently been asked to cross less, which uh, it doesn't sound best pleased about Fraser, and mm. understandably, because, you know, last season I think he was one of probably top three or four attacking uh, forces in the league and just seems to play on instinct. He's a very kind of, jogged runner, ferrets into little spaces and does just whip balls across often. He seemed to do it on a number of occasions last season. Even really looking up, he kind of just knows instinctively where Callum Wilson especially is going to be. And, yeah, I think if Bournemouth are going to get out of this little mini slump they're in, I think Eddie Howe would do well to to try and find out why why he's not getting much from him. Yeah, Yeah,
0: absolutely. All right. Good. Perhaps that'll happen this weekend as they travel to Vicarage Road. That's the Premier League weekend. Still to come, we're going to talk about some of the big games coming up around Europe. But We'll also, speaking of the Athletic, be hearing about Maradona, his relegation battle and the colour green. And more delights too. Right now, though, here's producer Ben.
4: Thank you very much, Jimbo. Listeners, it's woohoo time. It's Lee Price on the line from Paddy Power.
2: Lee, let's start with Liverpool against Tottenham. Give us some numbers on this one, please.
4: A tough one to call, I think. I think anyone hoping for a title race this season will be begging for Spurs to get a result here. Liverpool, though, as usual, are odds-on to win this game, particularly at Anfield, hard to bet against them there. It's 2-5, the Reds win at home. 7-2 for a draw. Tottenham won the longest price you get all season long, 11-2 to to win a game of football.
2: Over to a London derby. What can Palace do when they're at the Emirates this
4: weekend? (laughs) Well, put it this way. We make it more likely than Tottenham winning at Anfield. But that's the only thing you're going to enjoy hearing here, Palace fans. You may want to skip the next 15 seconds. It's 5-1, to one. Crystal Palace win at the Emirates, with Arsenal heavy favourites at home, 4-9. to 7-2 to two for the draw. We're back in the Gunners here. And they're actually a major banker for many acres across the weekend.
2: And finally, we saw what Norwich did to Man City. They haven't been having a good time of it, but
4: can they get at least a point at home to Man United? This is a tough one, I think. Despite on appearances, looking at it, you think this should be an absolute formality. And the odds do kind of reflect that. United are 8-11 away from home. Norwich are 10-3 as the home side was a lengthy price. And the draw is 11-4. But I don't know that I'd be confident on backing United or Norwich getting a result here, which might sound like a draw to me. Hmm.
0: You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Here's a general question from Ricardo Mantillo, who says, is the golfing class, this takes us back to the Champions League, is the golfing class between the Premier League elite and the rest of Europe as big as it seems? I'm not sure, is there a golfing class between, say, Man City and PSG or Bayern Munich at the moment? I think what's happening with a lot of the
2: European elite currently is that a lot of those teams are in transition. Mm. Um, A lot of them are either under new management or are going through uh, squad overhauls. Um, PSG, one of the teams who probably aren't, in the sense that they've got the same manager they had last season and they're basically dependent on the same players, albeit having made a few... uh, key signings, but, you know, buying a a rebuilding. Um, you know, Barca are, are trying to blend Antoine Griezmann into their attack with with mixed results so far. Juve have got a new coach. I mean, all the big teams in Italy have got a new coach apart from Napoli. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's probably a combination of what's happening with teams like Liverpool and City. Is you're seeing projects that have been underway for several years kind of coming to fruition. Obviously we we saw that with Liverpool in the Champions League last season with, with City domestically the last the last, you know, two, three seasons. Um, and I think they're just a few years ahead of those other those other big guns. Um, but I, I don't expect it'll stay like that forever.
0: Right. Uh, speaking of managerial changes, Tom, which you kind of were a bit Southend United making the decision to go with Sol Campbell. And not free to, you say, Henrik Larsson as their new manager.
3: Um, He he wanted to be. um, Henrik Larsson. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And uh, uh, apparently they went for Sol.
0: Well, yeah, they did. And uh, he was in the stands to see them when they took on Doncaster and witnessed their heaviest home defeat ever. 7-1. 7-1, the Shrimpers lost. So Sol with plenty of work to do. Luckily, he has one of the finest brains in football. As, indeed, he demonstrated with the Silkman previously. Now, uh, ooh, you can get more details on all that kind of thing in the Totally Football League show, which is out at the moment. In other worlds, in other football, Maradona, as you've spotted, is back managing in Argentina uh, with a pretty scary mascot by his side and a team in all sorts of trouble and some radical plans in how to reverse their, their plight, Jack.
1: Yeah, he's at... Gimnasia La Plata. It's his first uh, head coach's job at club level uh, in Argentina since the mid-90s. So, massive deal. Has he ever done well with any team ever as a manager? Well, I'm told he did okay in Mexico with Dorados. Okay. Didn't pull up any trees, but from what I can glean, it was a solid, solid-ish right. performance. But speaking to a couple of people for the article I wrote, it's very clear that he is... Uh, he's maradona the the figure the icon rather than maradona the uh massively detailed coach so i think clubs uh gymnasia for example have got him in in the hope that his star power will kind of coax something from his players did you say coax something
0: sorry i didn't get that It's all right i saw his dance in the dressing room
1: yeah there was a little dance and he's i mean as is maradona's way there have been uh, I think his off the field exertions so far have captured the eye, mostly and mainly with his superstitions. Right. Um, he first arrived and he got a priest to come in and kind of bless the training ground and get rid of the the bad vibes that had accumulated in a in a poor run. Uh, he banned the color green, as you mentioned, from I think kind of all of his players' clothes. So is what, that is that anything to do with the color of grass? I don't think so. I, I'm not. Exactly sure what it's from, but he's inherited it from Carlos Bilardo, the former Argentina coach, who was also known for having a lot of these little quirks. Uh, It is true that very few teams
0: play in green, you know, given that it is one of the chief colours of the spectrum, and given it's a nice colour as well,
1: top colour makes for a nice kit. So one of the players kind of jokingly complained in in a radio interview that, oh, a lot of us have had to get rid of our boots because I think a few of them had green models. Uh, And it almost went further than that. So Maradona doesn't like the numbers 13 or 17. Right. So he tried to basically ban them and move the players in those squad numbers to other numbers. The the, the league said, no, we've... We finalised those for now, so that didn't go ahead. Would
0: well, you scoff it? For years, many airlines wouldn't have rows 13 or 17 on them. Why 17? 17 in many countries uh, has the same association with misfortune that 13 does for example in, in this one. So. Well, of course, when he was at Leeds United, Massimo Cellino banned the number 17, there exercised you go. it from the squad. There you go. So, anyway, these measures, Jack, extreme mm. as they are, have they had any effect? Uh,
1: not massive. There's been a A slight improvement on the pitch they won against Godoy Cruz a couple of weeks ago but then lost again at the weekend and it's almost a hopeless situation even before he came in because relegation is worked out still on a three year average so it's really you know a short term fix is needed but the kind of the the antecedents I suppose are, are longer term so it's, it's kind of miracle working stuff if he is to get them out of it, which right. seems very unlikely.
0: I'd, I'd forgotten that. So effectively, relegation is done in much the same way that teams are awarded champions or countries are awarded Champions League quotas uh, the, uh, through a coefficient of positions over the last three years.
1: Yeah, like a, a points per game average, essentially.
0: How do people feel about that in Argentina? Is, is there any kind of push towards having something slightly more exciting?
1: I think in outside of the top flight, I believe it's beginning to change into a more uh, more typical one season right. uh, points total. But and I'm sure uh, from what I gather, it's it's viewed as slightly outdated. Outmoded. It, it sounds really dull. Yeah, I, I, I suppose what it does is it protects uh, so-called bigger teams with you know certain. Political power behind the scenes, so a club can afford to have a, you know one really dodgy season and then still recover from that with two OK seasons. Oh, look, our points total is actually actually fine. So. It is there, I think, probably for for a reason, but not necessarily a good one. All right. Moving on,
0: and still on the subject of new managers, did you know that Thiago Motta has just taken over at Genoa?
2: He has. Yeah. Yeah. So he was at PSG last season in charge of the under-19s, then he fell out with Antero Enrique, uh, the now former... PSG Sporting Director uh, and when Leonardo came in I think he tried to keep Motta on but Motta said no Bridges have been burnt so he's off and you'll remember that he gave an interview a little while ago about his football vision uh, and his dream of playing one day with a 2 seven, two, seven, two. 2 no because that doesn't leave any space for a goalie I think two, seven, one 7 8 nine, 10. Some, the, 2 7 something
0: Right,
1: I think it was without a goalie, wasn't it? I think it yes, was. Yes, well, that was the it thing. Was a two, seven, Sorry, two. two
0: seven two. Yeah, who needs goalies? Overrated. Right. Well, if you'd like to see whether that happens in uh, his debut game, it's Saturday evening. Genoa taking on Brescia. Mario Balotelli's Brescia. Oh, that sounds fascinating. Uh, as uh, Thiago Motta takes over as manager for this week anyway. Uh, leaders at Juve and City are at Lecce, second place Inter, fresh from their victory over Borussia Dortmund, are at home to Parma. Big games on Sunday in Italy. Roma against Milan, that's five o'clock. And then that's followed by Fiorentina Lazio, which is always fun. In Spain, Noel Clasico, that's now going to be on the 18th of December. Uh, Granada thus can put one hand on the title with a win over Betis. When they play on Sunday, because Granada are currently in third place in a very unusual-looking top of the Liga. In Germany, ever so exciting there, even tighter than the Swedish, than the Allsvenskan. The entire top half of the table separated by two points. Crazy. And uh, Dortmund, who were the only side in the top seven to win last week. Who are they playing this time, Jack?
1: Uh, Schalke in the Riviera derby. Right.
0: That's good. The, the big, raw match. roar in every sense and of Gladbach are up against Eintracht Frankfurt, they're on top, Gladbach Uh, Schalke, as you say, against Dortmund Bayern against Union Berlin which should be entertaining in France, leaders PSG Tom, are at home to Marseille in the game we must call le classique No. well allegedly yes um, Marseille up to fourth after
2: ending a four game winless run uh, with a useful 2-0 victory over Strasbourg last weekend AVB's Marseille AVB's Marseille uh, looking for their first win at Parc des Princes since 2010 wow. um, welcoming various players back from injury and suspension so everything moving in the right direction but AVB says doesn't matter they're probably going to lose he's not really that fussed about it
0: I like AVB that's been
2: his, uh, his rousing pre-match discourse brilliant for this one
0: a little bit of Mind games, I reckon. Yeah, potentially luring the Parisians into that false mm. sense of security. That and the massive win they had midweek. Good. Well, that's always an entertaining match. And of course, huge games as the penultimate round of the Allsvenskan <laughs> comes around.
3: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think that Hammarby is taking on Östersund on Sunday. Right. And then there's the big game, uh, Malmö against the Oiko on Monday. So, yeah. right. Very exciting.
0: Okay, we'll have all the details next week, probably on the Totally Football Show. Uh, One last thing. Jack, we haven't mentioned yet. We haven't uh, taken a a more in-depth look at Gaisca Mendieta's set list. So how many songs are on here? Was this the one that's been kind of published in various forums? Is this a faithful representation of what he dropped at the Shacklewell Arms?
1: Uh, That is an abridged version. Oh, right. So I I think that playlist lasts for just under two hours but the set was four he played for four hours hours, yeah Mm -hmm. which uh, respect that yeah i mean good stamina he i think had a couple of beers but was not i think he you know he was fairly focused seemed to be taking it quite seriously Mm. he certainly wasn't there uh well in my view at least just kind of lording up for the publicity in fact he was quite bashful when a stream of people came over and got. He's not a celebrity selfies. he's not a David Guetta or anything like but that. He looks a bit like David he does, Guetta. Doesn't he? David he is, Mendy yeah. Guetta. But no, not in that sense that he was kind of uh, playing to the crowd right. overly no.
0: Did you have the chance to talk to him and, and ask him where his love of say the Yardbirds or uh, Sons and Daughters or, or any of these uh, bands actually came from. Good Lord, he actually played the Swinging Blue Jeans.
1: He played a lot of good stuff. He played When I walked in uh, so it's in, it's in the back room of a Pub essentially, so that alone hints that it's not kind of you know footballer connections opening doors. It's although well, well, actually
0: it is a footballer connection, isn't it? Because it's Pat Nevin's outfit. Well, okay. Or uh, affiliated. Yeah, I
1: think Pat Nevin is DJed there quite mm. uh, quite a bit. But it's yeah, it's in the kind of graffitied walk- back room of a of a pub. I walked in and he was playing Dinosaur Junior, which uh, I can't think of too many footballers who would know bands like that. Right. So
0: Probably I think it was the new mascot at Arsenal or something.
1: He. <laughs> Had a good year. So it's a good game. Right. Good game. What? So, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, yeah, it was, a good, it was a good night. Brilliant. Excellent. Well, that brings us to the end of today's Totally Football Show. Many thanks for being with us, listener. We will return with a roundup of all the weekend action on Monday. So now many thanks to Tom, Frida and Jack. And uh, do have yourselves a terrific weekend. And we'll speak to you soon.